The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Please remain standing and hear God's word from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you that even in these few moments of meditation, a break in our day of labor, um, an opportunity to focus our hearts on the glory of Christ, the wonder of his cross, and the reality that he is the crucified and risen Savior, that you would nourish us, encourage us, Help us to prepare and participate in the calling that you have issued, not only to your apostles, to them first, but also to all your people who have received the great Holy Spirit, the divine witness, to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. So teach us, encourage us, challenge us, we pray. Transform us by the power of your spirit. In the name, the great name of Jesus, the crucified and risen one. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we can return to the book of Acts, the first chapter, uh, and the text that I just read. I want to especially direct your attention to that well known text, verse 8, in which Jesus corrects the disciples' curiosity about things that are not theirs to know, but more importantly, explains to them their mission and the power by which they can carry out their mission and the scope of their mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Three streams of Old Testament promise flow together into those words of Jesus. The promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the last days. We looked at that several weeks ago, that the Holy Spirit comes to bring power. And because he's the Holy Spirit, he also comes to bring purity, to cleanse us as he is the now indwelling, divine third person of the Godhead, now dwelling among us here. So he comes to bring purity, but he also comes to bring power. And that's a theme that we find promised in the, in the prophets, through the prophets. Not just as far back as John the Baptist, but much further back. Certainly in Joel's prophecy that Peter will quote on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter. Uh, but also in the prophecy of Isaiah, where God promises to pour out water on a thirsty land. His spirit on the offspring of his people. The promise of the spirit. Second stream, you shall be my witnesses. This is a stream that we also find in the prophecy of Isaiah in various passages uh, in the 
chapters around the 40s and a little bit beyond, God challenges the pagan gods worshipped by the other nations uh, to present a, law, a lawsuit to, to prove their case that they can do something in the lives of their worshipers. He says at one point here in Isaiah 43, all the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things that is among these gods that the nations worship? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. The ESV says the Lord. The Hebrew is Yahweh. Sometimes sort of misassigned uh, vowels led people to call it Jehovah. You are Jehovah's witnesses, right? Israel are Jehovah's witnesses. You are my witnesses, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I'm unique, and my people Israel, you are my witnesses. You can testify. Well, Israel didn't do so well testifying always. The evidence was there, plain to see, but as Isaiah also says, Israel had a problem of blindness, and a blind eyewitness is not so useful. Um, But God would heal their blindness. The Lord would restore his people to their mission to be his witnesses. That's what's happening in the first chapter of Acts. Jehovah, in the flesh, is standing now, still bearing the signs of his suffering, the scars of his wounds, Jehovah is standing in the midst of his people and he is saying, you shall be my witnesses, that I am uniquely the one true and living God, that there is salvation in no one else. That's what Peter will say in Acts 4, even as Isaiah, God speaks through Isaiah here. I am the only savior, so Peter will say, salvation in no one other than the name of Jesus. The uniqueness of Jesus, who is Jehovah in the flesh. You are my witnesses. That's the second stream. We just want to focus on that for just a few minutes today. As you can see, and this is a, an address, first of all, to the apostles, uh, and that's, that's important. As uh, Luke had already told us, we saw at the beginning of these series of meditations, uh, Luke goes out of his way to point out that it was to his chosen apostles that Jesus presented himself with many convincing proofs demonstrating the reality of his resurrection because that's their distinctive mission as the foundation stones for a new temple, a new church. They are to bear witness to Jesus' resurrection. And so by the end of this chapter, as the church is waiting between the ascension of their Lord to heaven and his celebration of his enthronement with the outpouring of his spirit on the day of Pentecost, one thing needs to be done. The number of the witnesses need to be completed. Judas has played the traitor, has taken his own life. Peter says now, having learned to read the Bible the way Jesus had been teaching them to read the Bible, it's all about him. Peter says we, it's necessary that there be a replacement for Judas. And he has to be one of those men who traveled with us the whole time from when John was baptizing and calling people to repentance all the way through to the ascension. Why? Because he must be a witness with us of Jesus' resurrection. 
On the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, Peter spoke for all the apostles, declaring that Psalm 16 had now been fulfilled, not in David's experience, we have David's tomb to this day, but in David's greater son, who was not allowed to see corruption, but was raised from the dead. As Peter says, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Great focus on the resurrection. Not only because the resurrection demonstrates that death and the grave have no right to hold Jesus, the Christ, the innocent one. Peter makes that point on the day of Pentecost as well. Death can't hold him. He's the innocent. He's the righteous one. Life is his heritage, not death. And so death had to give him up. All that he has claimed to be and to do has been accomplished. But that means also that the resurrection casts a certain light, a new light, on Jesus' death. Over in Acts 5, one more time, when we look at the apostles speaking of their calling to be witnesses, now before the Jewish high council, in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, Peter and the other apostles boldly inform the Sanhedrin, the God of our fathers, raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Two expansions here. Two expansions Now they're not just talking about the resurrection, but they're talking about the significance of Jesus' death. They echo the language of Deuteronomy 21, cursed is anyone who's hanged on a tree. He says, that's what you did. You you executed him through the Romans, obviously, but you executed him in such a way, in such a, a circumstance that it signaled God's curse. And yet God's vindication of him tells us that The curse didn't belong to Jesus. He didn't deserve it. He wasn't getting what was coming to him. He was getting what was coming to others. He was getting what was coming to us. Paul, of course, will unpack this in Galatians 3 and actually quote that Deuteronomy passage. But here already the apostles are alluding to that text and sharing and sending the signal that Jesus underwent a curse, but not for his sin for our sin, as the resurrection so powerfully declares. So we are witnesses to these things, not only Jesus' resurrection, but now the significance of Jesus' death as our substitute, as our sacrifice. But there's another expansion in chapter 5, and that is that the apostles are not the only witnesses mentioned here. They join their witness with the testimony of the divine witness, the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is bearing his witness to the Son, as Jesus promised in the Upper Room Discourse, the latter chapters of John, because the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to the Son, and because the Holy Spirit is given to all whom he enables to obey the call of the gospel, not just to 12, 
But as the day of Pentecost shows, on everybody who was waiting for the promise of the Father to be poured out by the Son from the throne, everybody was speaking the mighty deeds of God on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, as the divine witness, speaks through many, many, many mouths, bearing his legal testimony to the work and the person of Christ. And so in a few chapters beyond chapter 5, when Stephen, the witness, Martus, the witness, martyr, bears his witness even to the death, and persecution breaks out, and, and the beginnings of the dispersion, of the scattering of believers like seed, Jesus predicts here in eight, Jerusalem first, but then Judea and Samaria, and then ultimately the ends of the earth. When that Judea and Samaria phase begins, everybody's scattered from Jerusalem, Luke says, except the apostles. And so it's the non-apostles, Luke says in Acts 8, who go out into Samaria, like Philip and others, telling the good news. Telling the good news about Jesus. There's an expansion. First based on the apostles' eyewitness testimony, to the resurrection of Christ and what it says about Jesus' death. But now, based on that, Paul would say in his architectural language in Ephesians 2, founded on that foundation of the testimony of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone, now the whole church is building and the whole church is bearing witness. Years ago, I served on the session of New Life Presbyterian Church with a, a, a dear brother, a dear elder whom the Lord has called home now. By the time I met him, he had had to retire from the police uh, department uh, up in the L.A. area, uh, having lost his eyesight because of diabetes. Uh, and, uh, and Jerry, at one point, uh, taught an adult Sunday school class in our congregation entitled, But What If I Don't Have a Testimony? Jerry had been born into a covenant Christian home, raised to know the gospel, and uh, could not remember a time in his childhood when he didn't trust and love Jesus. And, uh, and he wanted to go after that sort of impression that we sometimes have in evangelical subcultures in America, that you don't have a testimony unless you can speak of a really lurid and violent and wicked past of unbelief, and then a radical conversion. Uh, some of the Corinthians had that kind of testimony, Paul says. Uh, even Paul would say, though he saw himself as righteous, he had a testimony of having violently persecuted the church and then being, as you know, arrested by Jesus on the Damascus Road. But Jerry said, really going after that assumption, that sort of template that we have in our minds, that that's what my testimony is, the point of his class was, you have a testimony because it's not about you. Uh, now God has to bring you out of death and into life, but he's going to do that in a lot of different ways. But the testimony, the witness that you bear, is about him. It's about these great events that Jesus accomplished outside of you, outside of me, his sacrificial death and his mighty resurrection. You are the new Israel. You are the true Jehovah's Witnesses, because here is Jehovah in the flesh, standing, speaking to his apostles, saying, bear witness to me, bear witness to my resurrection. 
and because the spirit who spoke and through them in that foundation layering period spoke through many others then and through you now, you have a testimony. And on the basis of their eyewitness testimony to Christ's death and resurrection, you have a testimony too to share with the nations. Be of good cheer. You have a high calling to take your place on the witness stand and testify to who Christ is and to what he has accomplished as the one and only Savior of all humanity. And as you bear witness, remember, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's your witness born through the strength of the Spirit of God who can drive words that you speak which seem so weak and so incompetent and if you're anything like me every time you have a chance to share the gospel with somebody you've never met before and they obviously are not a believer you replay the conversation four times afterwards wishing you'd said this or that or the other thing and why didn't I think of that at the right time weak words weak human words but the one who's really bearing witness is the Holy Spirit and he can drive the word of Christ, home to hearts, even through our weak words. He can enable the sheep of Jesus to hear the shepherd's voice. So bear witness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your calling to us. Based on, grounded in your calling to those early apostles who ate with you, touched your wounds, saw you in the flesh, your son uh, raised from the dead. Thank you that you sent Jesus uh, to us as our redeemer and our savior, raised him from the dead, seated him at your right hand, and now that he's poured out the spirit in power and purity to make us also witnesses, testifying not to us or our story, but to his story out of gratitude that you have wrapped us into Christ's story of victory through the weakness and the power of his cross and the ongoing power and life of his risen rule with you in heaven. Thank you, Father. Make us faithful in giving testimony and bearing witness to Jesus and his saving work. We pray in his name. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.